Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 14. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship on sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning. It's nice to see you. I th- am I switched on all right? I'm a- yes, I feel like the man in the iron mask. Have you seen that picture where the man gets locked up? Um, but anyway, we'll do our best for you. I am a bit of a substitute uh, this morning. I can't remember the story altogether, all but it's to do with a glass of pain, and the man says, you know, when that uh, glass is repaired, it's been broken, it's a real substitute and the man was the speaker. He says, you're not a substitute, you're a real pain. <laughs> so I hope I'm not a real pain to you this morning. And Jack is my brother, as some of you have noted before, and it's good to be here. I said to Elaine this morning as we came here, who would have thought that when we get married, um, this is National Marriage Week, by the way, I hope you get your breakfast in bed, ladies. Um, who would have thought that my brother would be in India? And I'd be down here for a start. And uh, who would have thought that my sister was flying to Dubai next week? And who would have thought my brother's a year older than me, is retired as a Baptist minister over Charleston? We wouldn't have thought any of these things. And Elaine, as a young girl who came to her mother's hotel um, at the beginning when we were courting each other, we never thought these things, and neither would I. So where will you be in a few years' time? Of course, that was just two or three years ago. It's not far. Um, I don't know if you've ever played... Mr. and Mrs. I'm not going to do a marriage counselling sermon in case you am. I want to challenge you. When I, when I was asked by Tom and by Jack, um, it was quite funny actually. Two of the people in the place we go to discovered I was replacing Tom, replaced my brother, and they knew Jack was out in Dubai. And this lady said, "Are you flying to Dubai?" I said, "No, I'm flying to Preston." <laughs> so here I am this morning. Um, I was preparing for another service, which I'm taking end of the month in a, a Baptist church in Southport, and I just had the preliminary notes. I didn't have much, 
so when Tom phoned, I sat down and uh, wrote up the notes I've got, and I chose this particular uh, verses that Elaine read to us this morning. Um, I've entitled it The Things I Can Be Certain Of. The things I can be certain of. I don't know what you're certain of this morning as you look towards being 21 or slightly older like me. Um, I said to my son last week, I'm 22 today. He says, you can't be. I'm 42, he says. <laughs> but, uh, I remember the game that used to be in television. Do you remember it? Mr. and Mrs.? Any of you played it? You might not all be married, so you might say, who cares? Um, um, where one and a half of the par- partners ask questions and about the opposite half who's away somewhere like upstairs. And then the other part of the duo is brought down and the same questions are given to that particular person and if they say, what answers did the partner give? Now the interesting thing was that when Elaine was asked the questions that I had related to, she got every single one of them right Rather scary, isn't it? You think about it. The scary part of that, uh, and this was maybe 10, 20 years ago, I get every one of them right as well. That's quite nice, isn't it? I'm glad a doctor here can say that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) um, But what I'm trying to say to you this morning, the interesting thing is that God knows all about you and loves you just the same. And I I thought the music was good. I liked the... The theology and the music this morning as well, and, and the words, and all related to that sort of thing. God knows all about us and loves the, just the same. But this morning I want to talk about the most important thing that you can do and I can do in my life. If I attain to know more in my business and my profession, the most important thing that you can do and I can do is get to know God and then to follow Him all your life. That may not mean that uh, you become a full-time person, as it were, um, like myself and my brother are. I was 42. I was relating to a gentleman this morning before I went into the college. So maybe you're 42, and a change is going to take place. But in a way, the ways of God are unknowable. And this is why, when I studied study this, I was quite taken with the fact the theologians say, we will get to heaven and we'll know him better. But we'll spend the whole lot of eternity getting to know him better and better and better and better. For God's way, sometimes we try and put God in a wee part, in a song or a reading, as if we know God. You know, right, I've got him, got my hymn pocket. That's me. I believe in him and I'm off. But belief leads to actions. It leads to worship. It leads to ongoing character changing and relationship in a person. It's a love relationship between you and God. Most people today don't understand that God really loves them and cares for them, and that's important. Um, the Bible says that God has revealed himself, talking about revelation, through his Son. And it says in Hebrews 1, 4, if I can quote it to you, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So if you want to discover what is God like, look at the, look at the Gospels. And see what it says there about Christ. Look at the facets. Look at the way he, he talked to people. Look at the time he spent with people that other people wouldn't spend. And if you're going to be Christ-like, that's what we've all got to be like. Now, the person who quoted this text that Elaine related in Philippians 3 wasn't a person who wanted to know Christ at all. In fact, when he says, I want to know Christ 
Christ was an anathema to him. The very word meant uh, called by God, and he certainly didn't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was called by God, and that's why he sought to stamp out the early church. If you were here this morning and Saul of Tarsus came in, he would take you away in chains to Preston or somewhere nice like that, certainly to Jerusalem, and uh, he didn't want to know Christ. But Christ met him on Damascus Road. He changed him. We talk about it. He got converted. He had this wonderful experience, and he came to know Christ. What does he say after many years on the road? He says to this church which was suffering in Philippi, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So here is the clarion call to each one of us this morning. Do you really want to know Christ? Do you really want to know him in your heart and in your life? And I presume that many of you have been to the cross. We've got a wooden cross here this morning, which signifies the cross of the Lord Jesus. I presume that many have not been to this cross, but been to the cross of Christ. We died for your sin and for my sin. And many of you will have acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Am I right in saying that? Good. Glad somebody's with me. <laughs> um, Paul also had been there. But he also says, I want to know Christ, he says, to know him better, to know him more. And what Paul is really saying here is, is if you're really committed, he says, make it your eternal goal, not your lifelong goal. When you become a Christian, I give unto my sheep eternal life, but make it your eternal goal to get to know Christ better. It's wonderful, isn't it, when you think about it? says in the Bible, the ways of God are beyond the finding out. It's a bit like being married, of course, you know. I'll say no more. <laughs> Sometimes we take people for granted, and I'm not going to do a marriage talk. And we say, I really know that person. In fact, you don't know that person. Um, and you've got to make it. You've got to get to know them better from the point of view of relating to that person and worshipping together, praying together, and go through trials and difficulties my dear wife had to put up with an awful lot. When we get married, we had a lovely big house, two cars at the door, and uh, she went from place to place. The kitchens all seemed to get smaller until we went to Tenerife, and the kitchen was beautiful. They'd come back home again into a small kitchen, didn't we? And uh, they were now down here. So you don't know where God's going to take you from that point of view. And Paul says, I want to know Christ. He had uh, an idea of being in Christ. So we, if we're Christians, we're what's known as in Christ. Over and over, you'll find in the books here, the quote, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And he commits himself, and he commits himself wholeheartedly to the gospel of Christ. He commits himself unconditionally and continually to this love of God in his heart to get to know him better. So he cries, I want to know Christ. I just want to say to you this morning, is that what you want to know? Otherwise, you're wasting your time as a Christian. For that's all what it's all about. You don't want to get to know the speaker better, and I hope you get to know your pastors better, but you want to know Christ. It's a living relationship with him. So in, this, in uh, an uncertain world, we can set certain, center ourselves in the love of God, center in Jesus, and uh, 
he says, I am believing Jesus. That's what he's saying here, if I paraphrase it. I'm believing Jesus, come with me, and I'm forgetting what is behind the baggage, the difficulty, the sin, the earthly desire, the lack of faith, my fears, and I'm straining. I'm like, uh, I'm called by God to go forward. And when I thought about straining, we used to have a border collie for many years that traveled around the various houses with us. And he quite liked to walk with us. But if you put it on a leash, the border collie is always going, because it's always going to, straining to go somewhere else, because it's used to running through the fields and after the sheep and bringing the sheep back to the farmer. And that's what we should be like. We should be straining. And as the song says, it makes sure that nothing's going to hold me back. That's my center. My center is to know Christ. And that's what I'm going to focus my entire life on when it comes to the things of God. So we say, I'm pressing on regardless, uh, um, even through trials, uh, says Paul, even through the beatings. Not many of us will be beaten for Christ, but there's many people in the Far East getting beaten for Christ. I'm pressing on regardless of the curses, the threats, and I have a goal that one day I will breast the tape and I'll be given the crown and to all those who look for his appearing. And so, these words in Scripture that Elaine read to you, and do you realize that probably the most important part of this service is the reading of God's Word? You'll find if you look at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Timothy is told by Paul, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Sometimes we forget that. And I thought about that this week. And the words are written here in the Scripture and proclaimed today to encourage you to know God better. If you walk out here and know God a little better, that's wonderful. And we're going to add to that. And we say to the wise men, wise women, seek God. Unwise men seek to make it themselves gods. We can all do that quite easily. Gods of money, gods of power, gods even of fashion. And we know who probably we're all talking about. Planting them about. Job in the Old Testament, which is one of the oldest books in the Bible, probably around the time of Genesis. God questions Job after he comes through a terrible testing. And if uh, I said to you this morning, all those who are godly in Christ will be persecuted. That's what the Bible says. So prepare for it. God will test you. But he always, always takes you through the testing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I spoke to a lady on the phone just last week whose husband was buried on Friday. And her husband had gone out in the Canary Islands and fallen. And he had uh, a lot of, I think the term would be, trauma to his head. She says, Tom, you wouldn't have recognized him. I wouldn't have wanted him to live. And I said to her, you know, we go through these things. It's difficult. God always takes us through. He always, Greek, the Greek verb means to go through. That's what it means, going through the valley of the shadow of death. Chapter eight, 38, I should say, of the book of Job. He tells Job, you really think you know me, he said to him. But you don't know me, he said. And he says to Job, in the midst of his testing and the terrible testing, you can read about it yourself, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge, without knowing me? He says, where were you when I created the earth? And then he lists all the so-called things we think we know about, about creation. And Job, when he heard all these things, it says he repented 
of his sin. He said, I am so unworthy. And then God blesses him even more so than he did in the time before his testing. So never think you know everything about God. Theologians don't know everything about God. No matter how experienced a person is, he'll never know everything about God. But there are some things we do know. We know that he loves us, and we never need to forget that. We know that he is committed to us wholeheartedly, and his love is expressed in the word of God. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Present possession of eternal life is the moment and the hour you commit yourself to Christ. So that's the contract, if you like. That's the new covenant. That's the commitment. God has done all these things, and he will carry out, and he has committed himself to you. Jesus said a wonderful word to his disciples. I think it's John 14. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you're coming through a trial, a difficulty this morning, hear these words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that means the power of the Holy Spirit in our life is always there, guiding us, blessing us, and encouraging us. I will never leave you. In the darkest night, I will never leave you. <clears throat> if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find a man called Moses who had many trials, leading millions of people through a desert with nothing to eat. And uh, God had enough of them at that time because they'd all been rebellious. And uh, Moses, when God said, I'm not going with you, go by yourself, more or less, he said. And Moses said to him, except you go with us, we will all perish. So God relents and he goes with them. But Jesus says in the New Testament, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you, which is quite wonderful. So it's the same God in the Old Testament and the same promise in Christ, except it's eternal from us. So the church will never be forsaken. It will have times of testing, but Christ will never fail us. That's wonderful when we think about that. God will never fail to be with his people individually or corporately in a whole, such as this morning. The word ecclesia is the word we use for church. Uh, it means those who are called out of darkness into light. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been called out of darkness into light. <laughs> and we Christians know that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is the light of the world, the only light of the world. So when Paul goes to Corinth, I think he was quite abhorrent, if you know your Bible. Um, it says in the Bible, it gives, you, it gives you the impression that Corinth was a cesspit of drunkenness, debauchery, and darkness. Not much of the light of Christ there. And what actually happened there was hundreds of sailors would take their boats from this ocean to that ocean, across the Nismus, which is now the Corinthian Canal, and they would haul their boats across. And all the way across where the sailors came, there was hundreds upon hundreds of taverns there. And that's what it was known for, known for drunkenness, known for much wine, known for the fact the Acropolis, which was the top of the hill, which was the the heathen worship center had a thousand prostitutes who were priestesses who you can work out what they did themselves as far as their pagan religion was concerned. So it was a very popular resort. It might have been the Blackpool of today. I don't know. Or maybe Tenerife. 
When I was in Tenerife, I often thought that. I'm working the devil's territory here, and I could feel, I could feel Satan's power, yet the power of Christ and the circumstances changing people, and that was wonderful. Maybe we need to go to more of these places. Uh, so they are. So Paul comes to Corinth. <laughs> he preaches Christ and him crucified. But in Corinth, the Christians were slipping in and out. So there's always the danger of that being a Christian. They would say, one day I'm a Christian, go to the church. One day I'm a heathen, I can go where I want. I can go to these places, I can go up the hill even, because I'm a Christian. So what did Paul do when he got to Corinth originally? Well, he tells us he preached the cross of Christ. And if you want to know Jesus this morning, if you want to know God this morning, that's where you start. And he, he starts in 1 Corinthians with a great text. And it's worth underlining in your Bible if you can go home. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you realize that you've been saved and you are being saved and one day you will be saved? That's what the Bible says. We're going through a process as far as God's work in us. So to go know God better when it comes to that, Paul is saying to us, gaze at the nail prints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Thomas, put your hand into the side of Christ where the, the piercing took place. Maybe, maybe then, be like, like Thomas who said, my Lord, and my God. And that's where it starts when you become a Christian. And the wonderful truth is that we haven't revealed ourselves to God and say, here I am God, I am a sinner, yes I'll accept you. I mean, talk about these, that sort of thing. And in one way it's correct. But what the Bible talks is God's self-revelation. He reveals himself to us and that's the wonderful thing. Another wonderful thing is he calls us out of darkness into light. So God wants us to follow his way. We can't affect God by the things we do and the things we say. I think of Jesus in Luke 13, 34, where he weeps over Jerusalem. And this is what he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left, is left to you desolate. Now I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Jeremiah, we find some text, text which I think is very good. It says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Or the strong man boast of his strength, nor the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. And that's found in Jeremiah chapter 9 towards the end. God's self-revelation. There's many stories in the Gospels. <clears throat> one was referred to in one of your hymns this morning, which is quite interesting. From my point of view, I'm not going to talk about it. 
It's when Jesus goes to a well. I've got a friend who went to Nairobi last week and he bought a pump for a well. And his wife was telling him about it at the Bible study we went to. But Jesus went to a well. And he met a woman there that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. And he had a conversation with her. When the woman talks and debates the rights and wrongs of Samaritan and Jewish theology, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Quite wonderful when we think about that. So what do you know about God? I sat down last week um, before I came here and I had, as if God gave me some things in my head and I had this book out. That sounds bad, but a book about the mafia, which I'm finding difficult to read because my mind keeps thinking about it at night, so I've stopped it. But what I did, got a book about mafia. The only thing I had, it was in my bag, and I was up in the air last week, and I wrote down all the things about knowing God. And the hymn was in my mind, Sandy will know it, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I put that at the top, and I listed in the back of this book all the things I knew about God. I'm going to suggest when you go home, I want you to say, put these down and say, I know God because, I see how far you get on the list. I know God, not be, well, because he did this for me, or did that for me, but because it's bound and, it, and it's bound in scripture. You see, there's the scripture, and this is how I know him. That's my evidence to a non-believer, or even my evidence as a seeker after Christ, that I want to know him. I want to know God because of such and such and such and such. And I'm going to quote these to you this morning. Because that's all I had. My brother texted me from sunny Dubai. (laughs) I thought, what am I going to speak about? And I took this out and uh, I looked at it. And the sermon you've got today is what I've given you. Right? I'm going to quote these 20 things to you. Sounds a lot. But you're going to do something as well. You see? Um, just to enact a thing so you can respond. It's very important that when somebody speaks like Jack or whoever, Tom, that you actually respond to the sermon. You say, yes, I identify with that. So easy to go and switch off. I'm now retired, and after 28 years of being a minister, I could quite easily sit in a church service and say, oh, yeah, what's this babbler saying? You know, over the top of my head. I was tired last night. I was out last night. But when somebody asked me to commit myself, it's totally different, isn't it? So I'm going to ask you, just to agree with me. You know what the word amen means, don't you? Yes, that's right. Okay. And if you can, you agree with these statements, I want you to say, not with a quiet, well, amen, you know, reasonably loud, an affirmation so the person in front of you hears you, but the person here wouldn't hear you. You got my idea? Don't want you bawling, but there we are. Right. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Number one, Christ was born in Bethlehem. I know that Jesus walked amongst men. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I know that God's Son rose from the grave. I know he's ascended on high. I know he's coming in great power and glory. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he is my personal Savior. I know I am loved by God for all eternity. 
I know that I am part of the ecclesia, the church of God. What is church? I know that I am his child. I know that I am a child of God. I know that I am forgiven. I know that he has sent his divine Holy Spirit to live in me. I know that I am gifted by God. I know I am led by God. I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I know he is a plan and a purpose for my life. I know I was created by God to serve and to worship him. Last one, as you've been counting. I know I can leave the rest of my life and future to him. Amen. Say a wee bit louder. So, amen. That's my 20 for you today, and that's my sermon. And uh, I trust God will richly bless you and the things you do for him. And if you're not a Christian, you commit yourself to Christ and follow him and see one of the people, one of the leaders here today. I'm sure they'll be happy to give you all the help you would need. So let's just pray that God's word will be in our hearts and our lives. Let's just have a short time of silence and then the musicians will take over. Heavenly Father, we pray today that your son may be glorified and we pray that we might know him better and have the great desire to follow him all our lives. We thank you for your promises and we thank you that you promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And we pray today you'll kindly bless us and guide us and heal us and restore us. For we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcentre.com.